0: Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast with me, your host, Melissa K. Norris, where my goal is to help make your self-sufficiency journey easier, where we teach and help families how to grow, preserve, and cook their own food using old-fashioned skill sets and wisdom to create a natural, self-sufficient home in a modern world. We give you the inspiration and tools you need, whether you have a homestead or not. With today's episode, I have a special freebie for you that you are gonna wanna go and get your hot little hands on, and you can grab that at melissaknorris.com slash 127, so that'll take you straight to the show notes on the blog, and then you will see this freebie in the resource section. What I wanna give you is my exact menu plan including recipes and prep tips for an entire week because I know when I was first looking at doing keto or doing a different way of cooking, a different way of eating than I was used to, I was really perplexed on how am I gonna make this work for me and the rest of my family because as I shared, my husband and I are doing keto right now, but my children aren't. And so I'm gonna give you our exact menu plan three squares a day, plus some snacks and some desserts. And so what you will get in there is how I make all of our meals and how I make them work so that my kids aren't doing keto. So they are still having, it's all done with whole foods. So you're not going to find any processed convenience stuff in there. But my husband and I are doing low-carb high fat, so that's following the keto diet as we've been talking about. So you'll have our recipes and our menu plan to do that, but then also to incorporate that with just other whole food type items and foods for the rest of your family. So you'll have, like I said, exactly laid out for you for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then some snacks and desserts thrown in. And so if you're looking at doing any type of low carb, if you're looking at doing keto Or if you're also just looking that you want some recipes and a plan and they have prep notes, so if there's anything you need to do the night before to make the recipe the next day, then I've got notes in there for you. But you might just be looking and saying, okay, I need to just clean up my diet. I need to clean up the foods that we're eating and the foods that I'm serving. This will serve that purpose too because it's with using all whole foods and totally from scratch. So, go on over, grab that, com slash 127, and you will get my entire meal plan, prep, and recipes for one week, totally free, to help you down this journey. This is episode number 127, and part two of our series, sharing how I healed my stomach, naturally got off all prescription medications from acid reflux, and ulcers. So if you haven't listened or read part one yet, go back and start there as it really lays the groundwork on my initial healing, but not only on the healing part, but it really lays the groundwork for when we dove in super deep and fully embrace this homesteading lifestyle. It takes you back to the beginning part of our homesteading journey. You may be wondering why I'm devoting so much time in this series to talking about that. But it really is my inspiration and my passion and the catalyst to understanding how what we're putting into our body and what we're exposed to really affects our overall health and is really the reason that we got down and dirty, so to speak, with homesteading. We already were practicing quite a few things that were homesteading. We already had been raising our own beef cattle, had a big garden and was canning, but it really is the push that got us into raising all of our own meat, really upping our home food production and preserving and making more and more and more things from scratch with natural, wholesome ingredients because I really did see a huge change In my health. When I saw what a difference it made, I wanted to do even more and more and also be able to share that. Some of you are going to be starting your journey from where I was in part one, which is episode number 126. And to access all of our episodes and the show notes, because it's not just show notes, you guys, they are full on blog posts, because some people want to read, they don't always want to listen. I happen to be a podcast junkie and I love listening to podcasts as I'm doing other things. But for those who want to read it, we've got that and links to all of resources that I'm mentioning. So to find past episodes and all of the resources and show notes that go with them, you can go to melissaknorris.com, click on the podcast button, and then you can go to each individual episode. So part one is 126, part two, what you're listening today, is 127. Some of you are going to be starting your journey from where I was in part one, but others of you may have already taken those steps. And you may still be struggling. If that fits you, it's my hope that today's episode is going to give you some inspiration and guidance to find relief and further healing. So important disclosure and important to note, I'm not a doctor, nutritionist, or professional medical personnel, and this shouldn't be taken as a medical diagnosis or a treatment plan. I'm merely sharing what worked for this homestead and mama, and if you're on any medications or you have a health condition... Please discuss with your doctor and pharmacist before making any changes or discontinuing any medications. Okie dokie. As I shared in part one, that goes back about six or seven years. About four years ago, so from part one, we're going to fast forward about three years, about four years ago, even though I had been off of my prescription stomach medication and have never had to go back on those, I started developing different symptoms. I began having extreme fatigue. I started losing my hair. For those of you who have my book, Handmade, The Modern Guide to Made From Scratch Living, you will recognize parts of the story that I'm sharing. And if you don't have a copy yet, go get yourself one because there's further info in there to help you. But I dive into this within that book. Long story short, the long story is in the book, I had hypothyroid which is low-functioning thyroid hormone and adrenal gland fatigue. So with the help of my naturopath and lab and blood work, I started taking a natural thyroid replacement hormone, which is Armour Thyroid, and it is prescription, and I was able to get a handle on my symptoms. What I didn't realize then that I know now is that thyroid disease is also an autoimmune disease, and I did not... Know that. So you might be wondering, what does this have to do with healing your stomach naturally? Talking about the hypothyroidism and adrenal gland failure and autoimmune disease and that kind of stuff. But stay with me here. So in the show notes, I have linked for you all of the different sources where I'm pulling information and facts from. But allergies and autoimmune and sensitivities, all of that is tied to our gastrointestinal system. I've got sources to these different studies for you, but your gut system essentially is a central role in your immune system. It's the main route of contact with everything that we come in contact with. So our external environment, and it's constantly overloaded, especially in today's age with modern, I'm talking mainstream modern society. When you think about all the synthetic fragrances and cleaners and in our Foods, all of these different processed things, preservatives, all of the external stimuli and toxic substances, all of those things that we come in contact with, our gut deals with that and almost 70% of our entire immune system is associated with our guts. It's pretty amazing. That's why talking about our food and our gut has to do with so much of our health and so much of what I'm talking about. As I said, I no longer had the acid reflux and the heartburn, but I still had some major gut health issues. I look at my first phase of healing was getting that stomach acid under control and getting off of those medications, and that was wonderful, and I felt a lot better, but there was still multiple layers and multiple levels that I needed to go through, which was really made obvious by the symptoms that I had cropping up. As I shared in part one, I'd already switched over to pretty much a whole foods and organic diet. And occasionally I will experience a small amount of heartburn, but it's very rare, not often. And just taking a little, like a little bit of a drink of milk or a Tom or something like that, boom, totally knocks it out. But now I know it's because I've eaten something that's one of my trigger foods and we're going to be talking about trigger foods how to discover what yours is because it's different for a lot of people there's no one size fits all i mean our bodies are extremely complex and everybody's dna and everything works in a little bit different manner so we're going to be talking about how to discover what your trigger foods are specifically and the steps that i use to do that Last year, January of 2017 to be exact, and at the time of this recording, it's January 2018, I started experiencing a lot of inflammation. I had gained an extra 10 pounds, which I know flat out was because I was indulging in Christmas goodies. I tend to have no willpower when homemade fudge is sitting on the countertop. So January 1st of 2017, like many people, you know, keeping weight loss or being healthier and eating better is totally one of our goals because it's easy to get off track during the holidays. So I went back to eating no sugar and following my normal workout routine. Now, when I stick to this, when I actually do it, right, that's usually (laughs) 80% of the battle is actually doing it. But when I stick to this, it's always worked in the past when I'm following a good, wholesome eating plan and getting regular workouts in, the weight would come off. But not this time. Honest to goodness, no cheating involved. I did not eat any processed sugar for an entire month. So I'm talking no honey, even raw honey, no maple syrup, nothing, nada. If it was sugar, even though they're natural forms of sugar, I didn't eat them for an entire four weeks. No desserts, nothing, And I did not lose a single pound. Keep in mind, in the past, whenever I have done this, I've always, you know, managed to lose a little bit of the weight. And I realized that 10 pounds is not, you know, that big of a deal. And the reason for this podcast is not, I'm not trying to focus on weight loss. I'm just giving you, you know, the real, the real deal and kind of where things were at with my body. So, not only though, was I not losing those extra pounds that I had put on and was doing things that had always worked in the past, but I was experiencing a hard afternoon tiredness. So you got you know what I'm talking about when the afternoon rolls around, I'm talking like two or three o'clock. And you are so tired. Oh my goodness. Like, if you could just lay down and take a nap, you totally would. And you might be fighting sleep, especially if you're driving. That's something that I always got nervous sometimes about driving because I would be really, really sleepy. So, for my dudes who are listening to this, sorry if this is too much info, but we're going to be keeping it real. So, I gave you a fair warning, okay? but i also started experiencing a breakthrough period every week. so i had my normal cycle once a month. but then every single week i would have breakthrough bleeding for at least half of the week, which means i was pretty much having my period for four four months straight cuz that's how long i went before i actually went to the doctor. i just kept thinking that it's going to reset itself. i'm going to go through the next my next cycle and things are going to reset and it's going to go back to normal. well, After four months, I realized, no, things are not going back to normal, and I have had enough of this. So there was all those different symptoms coming into play. And then, this was the trigger for me, but in one day, I gained four pounds overnight. Now, you can't gain four pounds of fat overnight. You can't gain four pounds of weight overnight what this was and what it really showed me is this was inflammation and my body reacting to something it was a whole bunch of inflammation which is excess water weight but it wasn't just that i mean but i was i was puffy and my joints hurt my body was pretty much shouting at me again just not with stomach acid that something was off i started really looking back at foods because i knew when my body was really off when it came to the stomach acid that Changing things in my diet had been the only thing that worked. And so I had to look back at my food again. And I want to be clear as I start talking about foods and trigger foods and all of that, that there's a huge difference between a true food allergy and a food sensitivity. I do not have any food allergies I do tend to be sensitive to certain foods, but there's a really big difference when we're talking true food allergies because those can be deadly, right? A true food allergy, you can have anaphylactic reactions, um, lots of different things where food sensitivities is, it's, it's two different beasts. So I just want to be really clear there. So how to find out what your trigger foods are. So I have tried at different times in the past doing elimination diets and really that was what initially helped heal my stomach from the stomach acid was eliminating all those things and then slowly over time seeing about reintroducing things back. But I had still had all those things cut out and I had cut out sugar but I was still reacting heavily to something. And I have to be honest with you. At this point, I was just plain tired of trying to figure out what it was. So I went the food testing route. And there are many ways to do food testing to find out what your trigger foods are. So the first option, and the one that I've done in the past, but I I wasn't doing it fully enough, and that's what I discovered. And so that's what I'm going to share here with you. And this is the cheapest albeit somewhat longer route, but that's to do an elimination diet, but a true elimination diet. So what does elimination diet even mean? So this is where you cut out suspected common trigger food groups. And some of the common trigger food groups that tend to stretch across, you know, that are the most common based upon a population is going to be gluten. So that can be where wheat, dairy, And within dairy, some people are lactose and casein intolerant. Some are neither, some, you know, so some people just have to go lactose free and they're fine. Others, it's the protein casein in the dairy. So some people can do goat's milk, but they can't do cow's milk. I mean, there's lots of different things in there. So I'm just kind of doing the broad subjects here of the common food groups, but gluten, dairy, nightshades. So nightshades are tomatoes, eggplant, and potatoes. Then sugar. And this is going to be including honey, maple syrup, coconut sugar, evaporated cane juice, all all of those things, even though they may be natural forms of sugar, they're still converted into our body, right? And you've got glucose and dextrose and fructose and all that kind of stuff. Eggs, soy, nuts, corn, beans, and legumes, so the bean family, citrus fruits, and coffee. So those are some of the common bigger trigger groups so to do an elimination diet is you would eliminate all of those things from your food for a period of time usually it's a period of weeks usually around two to four weeks but you're diligent you are not eating any of those things and you're also keeping track and being very aware of how you feel. So, you know, do your symptoms is tend to go, do they go away? You know, just what changes you're noticing. It's like document, document, document. I mean, you're kind of, you're basically doing a science experiment with your own body. So after you do the elimination diet for two to four weeks so that your system clears out all of these food items, then you bring back each of those items one at a time to see if you react to them. And I did talk about this a little bit in part one, But if you want more information on doing an elimination diet and your food sensitivities, I have for you in the show notes a link to a resource that really walks you through in depth and depth and depth and how to bring back a food. So you would bring back one food at a time and you would eat it and then you'll wait for three days and you will document, you know, day one, day two, day three and see how you feel. So there's a resource guide that I've linked to that's going to really dive deep into that if doing an elimination diet is something that you want to try. So, the second way to figure out what your food trigger foods may be or what you have a sensitivity to is to do a skin prick and blood testing. So, this is going to be performed by your doctor or an allergist. So, this is where you, you, know, go and see a medical professional. It's faster than the elimination diet many times, but a, most of the time, and this is generalities, there's always exception to the rules or whatever, but your doctor or allergist will still have you do an elimination diet with it. To really, you know, really pinpoint things. But doing the skin test for allergies and then of course the blood testing where they you know look at different things in a lab is gonna give you a really true and clear picture. You do have the added cost of doctors' visits and lab works depending on you know what kind of healthcare coverage that you have. But that if you have a really, really severe, that is probably the best route to go because you're gonna have definite answers. Now, the third way is muscle testing or applied kinesiology, which AK is kind of the short abbreviation of that. And I want to be straight up with you. There is a lot of controversy over using muscle testing or applied kinesiology testing. Okay. So I just want to, always want to be straight up with you guys. The gist of this testing is that a patient will hold a food item, some Tests will have you hold it in your hand, like where it's in a vial. Some will do oral testing where you actually have, you know, obviously the food's in your mouth. And then you they test for muscle weakness in the body, both without food and then with food. So you'll, for me, and it, it sounds hocus pocus, I I totally understand that, and but I have to say this is the route that I went. And there has been some correlated studies done that shows there is some merit to it. And I've linked to a study from the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institute of Health, where they did a pilot study on 17 people, where they first tested them with the applied kinesiology muscle weakness testing. And then they did both a radio allerg... I'm probably totally butchering this, y'all, but a radio allergosorbent test and an immune complex test where the lab test confirmed 19 of the 21 food sensitivities that the muscle testing did. And I have linked to that exact study so you can go and read the information for yourself within the show notes. So for me, the muscle testing that I had done was I first you, I held my arm out straight and they pushed down on it and you're resisting, right? So it's how stri- can they push your arm down at all when you're resisting? Then you hold the food item that they're testing to see if you have a sensitivity to or not. And they'll you are giving the same amount of resistance and they'll push down on your arm. And for me, the foods that I was sensitive to, I was trying my hardest to push and the muscle weakness was very apparent. Now, like I said, there's you're gonna read a lot of places where people have controversy over this. Some people say that it doesn't work. It's just a bunch of hocus pocus. I think it really is finding someone that you trust that does this that is actually trained in it and all of that but you're gonna have to draw your own conclusion so like I said some people are gonna think it's just a scam each each of us has to make our own conclusion and decision on it I'm just sharing with you what I did and then you just get to take that info and decide for yourself from there. So I just want to be really clear on that though. So I have the muscle testing done and based on those results I did an elimination diet. And for me It was spot on. So meaning I took the results of the muscle testing, used that in the elimination diet and eliminated those foods. And it was my results for for me were very dramatic in the difference. I also want to note, though, here that your food sensitivities can change. So it's always important that we pay attention to our bodies. Some things may bother you now. After giving your gut a rest or some time to heal, you may be able to eat them in the future or not. There's some things that like, I'm never going to bring soy back in. You know, there's some things that I can't bring back in on a regular basis, no matter what. Or as in this case, is it was things that hadn't been bothering me on on the first round of healing did bother me later. So our bodies are constantly changing. And I just want to bring that point up too. So my elimination diet based on my sensitivities and findings, I found that whey protein powders, even the good ones. So I'm talking about I was doing, you know, totally organic, no weird fillers, that type of thing. I do not get along with them. I can do homemade yogurt just fine but not whey powder. So I was using whey powder as a way to add some protein to smoothies I was doing, and it was really bothering me. I can make the same smoothie with homemade yogurt, which I make myself, and I let mine do a full ferment so that it has less of the sugars and stuff in there. But I could do the same smoothie with just eliminating that whey protein powder, and I'm good to go. But that whey protein powder really bothered me. Then I also discovered that the brand of organic raw cacao powder I was using and I didn't get along. I switched to a different brand, and I don't think it was the brand. I think it, maybe it was something in where it had been packaged or the processing plant, maybe some cross-contamination. I don't know because it was a good organic brand of cocoa powder. But I switched brands, and I haven't been having reaction. So hard hard to say there, but it was very interesting for me. I can have limited amounts of fresh ground organic spelt flour, but hard white wheat causes a flare-up in me. Dairy and eggs are not issues for me. I already knew that soy was a huge trigger. Nightshades don't bother me, though. So tomatoes and eggplant, those don't bug me at all. Green beans don't bother me, but I found that shell beans, even when I'm properly soaking those you know, for 24 hours and everything like that, Those, my body handles best if I just do them in small amounts and occasionally. So it's not something that I should be eating every week or multiple times a week or maybe even every other week. It's something I can just have occasionally and I'm fine. But if I have them a whole lot, my system just doesn't like it. I want to share what is working best for me right now. As I mentioned, finding out my trigger foods and then adjusting my diet and being diligent about recording how I felt has made a difference. Huge difference. Last spring, two thousand and seventeen, when I was diving into this research and you know looking at these foods that I was cutting out and how do foods affect our hormones, because i I knew, based upon the symptoms I was having with all of that breakthrough bleeding, that I was what they call estrogen dominant, meaning I did not have enough progesterone in my system, and that's why I was having all of that breakthrough bleeding. But being estrogen dominant has all kinds of other things as well. If we have too much estrogen in our system and you don't have enough of your other hormones to balance everything out, it can cause problems. So I was really looking at, you know, the foods and how hormones affect our health and how foods that we eat can help to balance or change or just has an impact on all of that stuff. I discovered last spring the ketogenic diet. It's called keto for short. And honestly, I have had amazing success with keto. It's what I'm following right now. Even though I wasn't eating processed sugar, honey, or maple syrup during that four weeks of last January 2017, I was still eating a lot of carb-heavy foods. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not villainizing carbohydrates. But most of us aren't aware of how many carbs we're eating or how many carbs are in the foods that we're eating. Of course, grains and fruits have carbs, but so do your vegetables. And many of our vegetables can have quite a few carbs. Now, not if you're comparing the carbs in your vegetables to the carbs in a piece of bread or obviously a piece of cake or candy, something like that. But let's be honest, most of us aren't binge eating just our vegetables. However, I was in a state where I was eating way too many carbs, even though they were healthy and whole food carbs. I needed to reset my metabolism and get insulin levels under control because I was experiencing that afternoon fatigue and brain fog. I was having a super hard time focusing and getting things done beyond what's just normal. I mean, we'll all go through periods in our life where we're dealing with something or we're super busy or you'll just have a day, but this was consistent. And when it becomes consistent, then that's when we really need to start paying attention. And for me, when I'm like, okay, This is not normal. And thankfully, (laughs) after having dealt with so many different things over the years, I'm becoming better at realizing faster that this is not normal and let's make a change now rather than staying in that state of misery, so to speak, before doing something. That afternoon fatigue and the brain fog and all of that completely disappear when I'm in ketosis. Now, I want to be clear again, the keto diet is not for everyone. Also, ketosis and ketoacidosis, which ketoacidosis is a very dangerous thing to be in when you're talking about diabetics, especially. Ketosis and ketoacidosis are complete two different things. But the keto diet is not for everybody. So if you've got diabetes, you're pregnant, high blood pressure, that kind of thing, you need to check with your doctor. So, what is a ketogenic diet? In a nutshell, it's where you eat high healthy fats, moderate protein, And low carbs, which in turn, when you enter the state of ketosis, it makes your body stop burning glucose, which is what we turn carbs and sugar into for fuel. And instead, your body converts the fat into ketones. So, ketones produced from fat, which means you are fat burning, right? Because it's using the fat in your body and producing it into ketones via the liver. And your brain runs off of those ketones when it doesn't have the glucose. I want to be really clear, though. The ketogenic diet is not merely low-carb or a version of Atkins. It was first actually used to help people with epilepsy and has been around for a really long time, though it's really become more and more mainstream. And I hate to use the word trendy, but kind of trendy, like you're probably hearing a lot about a keto diet in the past year or two than you did previously. Doing a ketogenic diet isn't something you kind of do. So sometimes we'll go, you know, we're going to say, you know, like where I'm following this and you follow it most of the time, but you know, every day or two, you might be like, ah, you know, kind of go off track a little bit. The reason that that doesn't work is because for you really be following the keto diet and for you to be in a state of ketosis, there's different ways to measure it. And we're going to be diving into next week hard on episode number 128. I'm actually bringing a real medical doctor, y'all, onto the podcast and we're going to talk about the ketogenic diet and your hormones and the role that your gut health and the foods that you eat, how that all comes into play together. If you have questions more so than what I've answered or you want further information, please leave them in the show comments. You can leave it in a comment on iTunes, shoot me an email, Melissa at melissaknorris.com because I want to take all of your questions and we're going to be addressing them in this podcast episode. I'm super excited. It's going to be episode number 128. You don't want to miss it because I think it's important to go to get really the facts, so to speak, not what we've kind of heard or what we think, but go and get the hardcore facts. So I'm really excited, really excited to talk to her. We're going to dive into this a lot further, but I kind of wanted to give you just a little bit of info on this because it is what I'm doing, and then we're going to go really more in depth next week on that. But as I wanted to say is to be in ketosis, it's not something you kind of do. You are either in ketosis or you're not. There's really no middle ground. So you're either really doing the diet or you're not because if you eat too many carbs, you're not just kind of, I hate to use the word cheating on a diet because I really don't like to be dogmatic about things. I think that we're a lot better off when we do things balanced. But if you're trying the ketogenic diet and to be into ketosis means that you're actually, your body's converting those ketones and that's what you're burning your fuel off of instead of the glucose, you can't get results from it if you're cheating or you're not in ketosis. We'll also be addressing because a lot of people will look at a keto diet and think that it's just eating all the kinds of fat that you want and all the meat what you want which that's not healthy either. So it's healthy fats, real whole food vegetables. It's really about eating kind of similar to Whole30, but you're making sure that those your fats are coming from really good healthy sources and you're getting a high amount of them, but that you're pairing that with really good nutrient-based foods. The majority of what I'm having is lots of vegetables, those good healthy fats, Some meats, which is grass-fed and organic from us because we raise all of our own meat, and that's how we raise ours. A lot of times people think that the keto diet is bad because it's just super fat and that's all you're eating and people are just eating eggs and bacon all day long and that's all they're having. That's not the case when you're doing it, I hate to say the word, correctly or the right way, but that's not the way it was intended. It's intended to be done with lots of good, fresh vegetables quick recap of this episode is finding out what your trigger foods are and the different ways that people can find out what their trigger foods are then seeing how you feel when you take those foods out and adjust as needed because like I said we're evolving over time and then I shared what's working best for me right now Next week we're going to be diving into it with our medical doctor, which I'm really excited to have her on the podcast with your questions. I want to thank you so much for joining me. I know how precious our time is and I'm really honored that you spend it with me. You're a part of this community and we really are making a change and helping each other to have better lives. And that's pretty powerful and pretty awesome that we could have band together and do that. Shoot me in your questions, leave a review, share this so that we can get all of your questions and those people who are dealing with this questions so that we can go about getting them answered on next week's episode and getting this information into the hands of everybody who needs it. Oh, I almost forgot our verse of the week. So as I shared, I am still being very strategic and working my way through the Bible. And you get to do that with me via the podcast with our verse of the week. We are going to Genesis. We are now in chapter 28 of Genesis, verse 18. And Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar, a monument to the vision in his dream. And he poured oil on its top in dedication. Part of what I've noted is going back over these two episodes and all the information I've shared with you in part one and part two, It's really seeing how much God has done for me and in my health, how much of a journey that he has led me on, getting me information at exactly the time that I needed it, which I hope is the case for you as well. But when I was reading this verse, it really imparted on me that it's important for us to make a remembrance of the things that God has spoken or promise to us. And that's what Jacob did. He obviously he actually made a, a monument there, but he didn't want to forget what God had promised him. And I think that's really important because sometimes we get really busy or we get caught up in the things that we're dealing with. And sometimes it can be easy to forget that or for it to kind of go to the back of our mind. But this really did bring forefront how important how much God has done for me and how important it is to set up those remembrances and to remember the amazing things that He has done for us and the amazing things that he's going to be doing from those promises and taking us forward. I can't wait to meet back here with you next week. Thank you so much. Bye for now.